You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. What's going on, Kensington? Whether you are here at one of our campuses or you are watching from home, we are so glad that you're here with us today. I'm Taylor Leal, and I am the K-Kids Early Childhood Director at our Troy campus. And on behalf of all of us at Kensington, welcome. Now, I know we're tired of the pandemic and we're tired of talking about the pandemic, but really this past year has been especially hard on our kids, hasn't it? They've been shifting to online learning or partial days or a hybrid. Even if their education is back to some sort of normal, maybe they can't see their grandparents or their favorite friends or play sports like they used to. But in the midst of all that, I do have some really awesome news for you. Most of our campuses have been able to reopen K-Kids during specific service times. K-Kids is our children's program for children birth through grade five. It's a place to be nurtured, to learn about Jesus, and to experience his love through connecting with others. And also, it's a ton of fun. What I love most about K-Kids is seeing the excitement on our kids' faces as they run down the hallway and watching their faces beam with joy while their teachers reenact Bible stories through a drama or a silly song. It's no secret that our kids love seeing their friends and their leaders all while hearing about the incredible message of Jesus Christ. While we are trying to open up our kids' program during every single service time, we are seeing a huge need for K-Kids leaders. We know now more than ever that our kids need mentors, they need leaders, and they need people who want to give their kids a fun and memorable time. And in order to welcome every single child, we need you. I wanna invite you to be part of K-Kids. We are looking for volunteers in the nursery. We are looking for small group leaders, for preschool and for elementary, and so much more. It is so worthwhile to pour into the next generation. And I would love to invite you to join our team. You can go to the Hub after service today, or you can visit our website at www.kensingtonchurch.org slash serve. Now, once you're on that page, just simply click our campus. Let's visit Traverse City today. So you'll check the box next to your area of interest. Elementary sounds good. Click the box that says more info, hit the connect button and simply fill out the volunteer interest form. Once you do that, someone from our awesome kids team will be in contact with you. Thank you for helping us out in my favorite area of Kensington. Well, we are in the second week of our new series called Personified. This series will lead us right up to the Good Friday and Easter services. I'm so excited to hear more about Jesus's final week on earth. His choice to live and die as a human being was the ultimate act of love. And today has something to do with a donkey and palm branches. Wait, isn't that supposed to be later in March? Well, I guess we'll have to listen up and see what today is all about. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, happy Friday, everybody. Okay, y'all are paying attention. Go ahead and stand up to your feet and join us in this next song. All right? Feel free to interact and worship with us today. All right? Let's do it. The night has fallen. The fear is coming. Still you're calling me. Faith is lost, my hope exhausted, you will be my strength, cause when my mind says I'm not 
Hey, good morning. How are you? Glad to be with you. Glad to be with you here in the room. And of course, at our Troy campus, then glad to be with everyone online, wherever you're at. You know me. Every time I'm here, we're going to say hi to you on the count of three. So on the count of three, let's say hi. One, two, three. We are so glad that you are with us. So that song that Cameron let us in, by the way, I'm jealous of his jacket. I keep saying I want that jacket, but only Cameron can pull that jacket off. Um, that song, Echo, is going to play a little bit. It's going to echo through our day a bit. It's a fun song. The idea that, that God's love would echo through our community out into the world is beautiful. But there's actually some hard lines in that song. It's like when my mind tells me I'm not good enough, Lord, you're enough for me. Uh, hold on to that kind of idea as we're moving into this second week of a personified series where we're looking at the humanity of Jesus. 
Many times we'll, we'll talk about Jesus as God, but we don't look through the lens of his humanity. And that humanity can inform our humanity. And today we're gonna talk about a little something called disappointment. Has anyone had any disappointment recently? <laughs> you don't have to answer that. But we're gonna talk into that a little bit. Before we do that, uh, we wanna draw your attention to something. We always wanna be connected to what's happening in our city, in our state, in our country, and things that are happening right now. You know, if you've been following the news this past week, has been difficult for our friends and our family in our state of Texas. And so we always wanna be able to step in. They had an incredible cold front there. Their infrastructure couldn't handle that. Their, you know, our infrastructure can handle that here, but not there. And so they've really had a lot of things. In fact, I think half a million people didn't have access to power. I think they're down to 200,000 right now. Uh, 12 million people don't have access to water right now. Over a quarter million of those people literally have no way to even have it get it to them. So this is a, this is a moment where we can be hands and feet. And we really wanna do that. And so we have a, what we call a move out team. If you haven't never been here before, if you're watching online and new and here new, we have these teams that we put together over passions that people have around certain topics that God has designed them to do and we move out into the community. Well, one of those teams is called the Draw Team, Disaster Relief at Work. And that team, every time there's a natural disaster, some kind of disaster, this team goes into motion and they've already been working the last week. Uh, but we met with them and said, hey, could we as a full community come alongside that financially and help and get water and need some people in Texas? So we're gonna open that up to all of you watching online to here in this room and just ask and pray about it. You know, if you can be part of this, uh, we'd love that. We'd love if you could uh, afford something and you wanna be part of this mission, uh, just go to our app. You can text Kensington Special to 77977 or you can go to kensington.org slash giving. And just so you know, when we do these kinds of giving, because we'll take our offering in a few minutes, but when we do these kinds of giving, uh, it goes directly to that. And so it'll go right to this cause. And we want to be able to have a community that steps in and does this. Now, of course, we're going to ask you to pray, uh, as we always do, but it, it's great to be tangible hands and feet. And here's what I know about community. Every time we put something like this out to you, you say yes. <laughs> and so you come alongside and you really do uh, just so beautifully serve people that you will never meet, more than likely. Uh, so thank you so much for that. We wanted to at least acknowledge that today as we're moving in to this series. Well, we are excited about this series. We're gonna be recognizing, like I said, the humanity of Jesus. And we're gonna learn about our humanity through his humanity because we believe that God was fully God and fully human. That he lived a perfect, sinless life was in the form of humanity. So he was perfectly human. And because we are in this human experience, we can look at God's perfectly human life and divine life and be able to take that and say, okay, now how do we become more fully human in Christ? What can we do to model after Jesus? And we're gonna look at that today. And I love what a friend of mine told me a couple years ago. Uh, Father Ken Tanner, who's a great leader just up the street here, a great thinker, great theologian, uh, he said something to me that I had never heard before. He said that Jesus chose to become the very thing that he loves the most, that God would take on the form of humanity, that he would come close to humanity, that God isn't a distant God, but God that is one that is close. In fact, in the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in one of the accounts, it says that God became flesh, that Jesus became flesh and lived among creation, lived among his people. And so the Christian faith is centered around this idea of the person of Jesus who had firsthand experience with all of humanity. In fact, the writers of Hebrews say it this way. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested or tempted as we have been, yet without any sin, never getting into any sin, living a perfect life. Therefore, now, I've always loved scripture about this because they're saying, they paint this beautiful picture of God and saying, look, this is a God that's close, that comes close to humanity, that lives a perfect life. Therefore, there's something because of that. Therefore, what? We can approach. We can approach the throne of grace with what? Boldness. So that now we have a reason. We can approach. Why do we approach? We may receive. Say the word receive. We may receive mercy and say the word find and find grace in times of need. That God would come close so what? That we could approach and we could receive mercy. We could find grace in times of need. So what does this mean for us today, in 2021, in this particular month of 2021? Why is it important that God is near? I really do believe that Jesus knew what it felt like to be looked at as lesser than. To not meet expectations, to be viewed as a disappointment. And maybe even the emotion of him being disappointed at times. Here's what we know about life, and I think you would agree with me on this. We will all have moments of disappointment. We will all disappoint. Yes? We will all have moments of disappointment and we will all disappoint. Let me just ask you, over the last year, has anyone been disappointed? I mean, come on. Of course, disappointed by policies and politicians, intention and decisions, leaders, the virus, all of these things, schools, the list could go on of the things that we could be disappointed. Has anyone disappointed someone? I'm not asking you to raise your hand there, but I'll raise mine. Because I certainly have disappointed, you know, I probably have disappointed many people in this community. As a leader making decisions, you make decisions and you're gonna disappoint people. Decisions, whether, whether it be about the virus or the mask or when we open or when we close the church, I mean, name it, I'm gonna disappoint somebody. And Jesus knew what it meant to let people down, to not meet their expectations. And so how we embrace these moments, how we learn from Jesus in these moments and how we respond to these moments will help develop who Jesus wants us to be to help us develop who we are in this life. And I believe the scripture today is gonna do just that. It's gonna, it's gonna start to, to, to push us down a word. It's gonna start to set our face uh, on the true things of life. So no matter if we disappoint or are we're disappointed, we can keep walking through in a place of center. So we're gonna look at an event in scripture that usually is celebrated uh, a few weeks from now. It's called Palm Sunday. It's this moment where Jesus, in his last week of his life, is entering into the city of Jerusalem. And there's an absolute celebration happening because of the expectations of the people that they thought Jesus, who he was gonna be, what his purpose was, and how he was gonna help them at that moment. And he knew that he was gonna disappoint them in that moment. He also knew that there was something bigger coming. Now, you know that we love original music here. I love original music. I love when artists, whether it's music or art or any kind of form, 
We love when God works through our artists and gives us something that we can share. And so this past few weeks, Michael King, who's our music director, I was inspired by this message, inspired by this scripture and started thinking through what does this mean? And he came up with the song and so we put it to a video. And this is a great way to prep our hearts as we move deeper and deeper into the idea of what it felt like for Jesus, what it may feel like for us, and the very truths that Jesus will give us of how we navigate some of these kinds of our human emotions. Let's watch. Yeah. Hey. 
Lord, we pray in this moment, Father, that you would set our eyes and lock our eyes forward on the face of Jesus. Would you give us insight today of what it means to turn towards you and to start really understanding how we navigate this humanity as you would. Lord, we ask that you have paradigm shifts in the room, that you would change our hearts, that you'd meet us where we're at, and you would start to take us to a place that your scripture says has eternal worth and value. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our community. We ask that you shift our gaze, shift our gaze to you, and let us see a little bit more of us in you, more of your heart, more of your kingdom, and more of how that impacts the world. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you give Michael another big hand for that beautiful song? Thank you, my friend. I absolutely love when something like that happens. They just put a nice, nice little feel, a nice little reflection, and gets our minds and hearts moving in the same direction. I love it. Well, we are going to receive our offering right now, and as we continue to move into our day, if this is your home, uh, this is your faith family, uh, this moment for us is not financial, though it is us giving uh, back into uh, what we believe this mission is for, but it really is more, way more than that. It is us saying, okay, we want to be part of a community that goes out just like the draw team and be hands and feet to really take care of the things around us, not only in our own little backyard, but around the world. So we really do invest in this as a mission. If you're brand new here, it doesn't have to be your moment. If you're watching on stream, it doesn't have to. If you want to take part, wonderful. Uh, we don't pass anything now, as you, as you probably would uh, suspect, but we do give a number of ways online, as you can see. You can text Kensington to 77977. You can go to our app. You can go to our website. Also, mail something. And then when you leave, uh, there are buckets in the back. So if you'd like to give something then too, we are so grateful. But it is the profound generosity in this community that allows us to keep moving and serving people around us. So thank you uh, for that. It's certainly not taken lightly. Well, I know every one of us have had moments in our life where we've had expectations and then all of a sudden the reality hits and they don't meet the expectation. Years ago, probably what, our son was 10 months, my wife Amy's here, my, our son was 10, our first son was 10 months old, we got a chance to go to Europe, and we got a chance to go to Paris, as my brother-in-law Chuck and his wife Kate, they were generous, they say, as long as you get here, in fact, I think there was a, you had a work trip or something, and we went there, as long as you're here, we'll help pay for the rest, and they were so generous, and let's go to all these places, it was awesome. One of the places we went was Paris, and I, as an artist, I just was, I was so excited to go to Paris. And, and then we went to the Louvre, the museum. And that's one of the great museums in the world. Now, I had been looking at the Mona Lisa since I was a little kid. And now I'm actually going to get close to the Mona Lisa. I'm going to see one of the most famous paintings as well as a number of others. And I was so geeked to see it. So we go into the Louvre. It's an incredible place. We finally make our way to the Mona Lisa. Now, this is what I thought I was going to see with the Mona Lisa. You know, a big wall. And it was this huge, you know, uh, huge painting. And it was going to take up this whole wall. And so that was the expectation I had. But this is actually what I saw. The Mona Lisa's like this. You know, and I remember looking and go, what? That's the Mona Lisa? And then people are all over and there's glass there and you can't get close and they move you fast away. I was like, that's it. And you could hear people go, this is really small. You know, like, but it did not mask expectation. Now, maybe you've had that before. Maybe you've had a vacation and you've had an image like this where you thought, hey, this is what our vacation is going to be like. And they even promote it like that. And you get there and it looks more like this. 
you know, or, or maybe, maybe uh, you wanted to take, you know, your kids to the water park. We, when we used to take kids to the water park, and you just want to have a leisurely stroll on the lazy river. And of course, this is actually what a lazy river looks like. Look at how crazy that is. You know what's weird about that? Is I'm looking at that going, wow, when's that going to happen again? You know, like, well, there's no mask. That's unbelievable. And then, or of course, when you have young kids, you think that when they sleep with you at night, it's going to look like this, and it's going to be so beautiful. And then you realize it's really not that way at all. This is the reality, uh, that they're putting their fingers up your nose, and they're laying on top of you. And then for all of you baking show fanatics, you want to make the perfect birthday cake of Baby Yoda, and you have the image in your head, but of course, the reality is you know what's going to happen right there. So <laughs> in some form or fashion, we have all experienced that, whether it's in a funny thing like this or it's actually in our lives, in relationships. In some form or fashion, we've had expectations, and the reality does not match up. And the people of Israel in this moment with God have the highest expectations of Jesus. The highest expectations they can have. They had the highest expectations of who he, was, who he was, what he was going to do, what his timeline was, what his purpose was, all to benefit this group of people. And their expectations were so high. This particular story is usually called the triumphal entry, like I remember, and it's in, it, like I mentioned, and it's, it's, it usually is taught a little bit later, but we wanted to look at the lens of this because this moment in Jesus' life, you have to understand, he is a rock star. He's known throughout this region. They've been waiting for this for a long time. And here Jesus comes in. They're hearing, all these people are hearing about these miraculous things, these signs and wonders, these healings. He's even raised someone, his friend, from the dead. Everyone is hearing about this and coming from all over the region to see him, just to catch a glimpse of him sometimes, just to even to reach out and touch a little bit of his clothes. And you can imagine the hysteria around Jesus in this moment. And people were starting to truly believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the king, that he is the rescuer, that he is the savior of the world. And the Jewish people longed for a savior to pull them out of oppression, especially in this moment, the Roman rule. And they really believed that Jesus was gonna establish his kingdom right now and they were going to be free of oppression, free of the political and spiritual and social and national rule. And this moment in history had been talked about for hundreds of years, building up to this moment. Prophets have been writing about it and speaking about it. Parents have been teaching their kids for generations and passing it down for hundreds and hundreds of years. And now there's this culmination where it's starting to happen. And Jesus of course, knew that he was going to set all humanity free. He knew what was going to happen, but it wasn't gonna happen the way they thought. It wasn't gonna turn out in the way that they had planned. They had no awareness of the magnitude of God's plan. Even his closest followers didn't know, even though Jesus would plainly tell them before this moment, or he would show them, or he would hint, he would have all of these moments where he's trying to wake them up, but they wouldn't see it. And now here we are. 
this moment at Passover, this festival that was celebrating how God had taken his people out of slavery in Egypt and moved them to the promised land hundreds of years before. Now they're celebrating this festival. Some theologians, some historians believe there's a million people gathered. The absolute energy was high, but the expectations were even higher. And this is where we meet Jesus in this moment. Mark 11. Now you should know this, that this particular account or this story is registered in all four of the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. When that happens, it's a profound thing. It's saying, hey, this is important so much that it's registered in every single one. This is a profound moment. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. So they went. They went away and they found a colt tied to a nearby door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. They brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it and he sat upon it. Now this moment in history had been prophesied before, 500 years before by Zacharias, the prophet Zacharias. And that prophet, 500 years before, said this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That donkey is significant in this culture because in this moment, Jesus could have come and entered in any way he wanted. He had all means to do that. He could have ridden in in different ways, but he chose this particular way. And he chose this means by to ride in with. A horse would have been something that would have been more military, more forceful, more powerful, but Jesus chose a donkey. Donkeys were a symbol of humility, of lowliness. They were commonly used for work and for travel. And even more, Jesus chooses a female donkey with her colt. One historical scholar says this, that might have been a very intentional way of making a statement against the powerful rule of the Romans. This is what he said. Jesus did not ride a stallion or a mare, a mule, or even a male donkey, not even a female donkey. He rides the most unmilitary mount imaginable, a female nursing donkey with a little colt trotting alongside her. Jesus' mode of entry was symbolic, signifying that the kingdom of which he spoke was a kingdom of peace. According to the prophet Zechariah, the king entering Jerusalem on a donkey was to banish the weapons of war from the land and speak peace to the nations. The kingdom of Rome, on the other hand, was based on violence and the threat of violence. Jesus is making a bold statement. He's actually giving a clear hint to what is happening right now. This is a different kind of king bringing a different kind of kingdom. And everyone is witnessing this. Jesus is giving a radical new vision for leadership, a radical new vision for the kingdom that he's bringing. And even though he made this countercultural statement in front of all of these people, they still believe that he was this mighty, powerful warrior. Mark 11. Many spread 
their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And then those went ahead and those who followed were shouting this, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I've always loved the image, especially from my background, my religious background. I've always loved that image of them taking off their outer cloaks and laying them down as Jesus is coming in, almost creating this beautiful red carpet event for this Messiah. The cloak was definitely a symbol of bow and submission, but it was really this honoring and acknowledging that this is the king. And then they had these palm branches that they probably were hitting together and making noises and waving. And the palm branches in that culture was a sign of victory and triumph. And then, of course, they were singing Hosanna. Hosanna literally means to save. It's this, we, we beseech you, we ask you, we beg you, we implore you to save us. And traditionally over this festival, they would sing parts of the Psalms from the Old Testament. One in Psalm 118, it would say, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now think about this moment. People laying down their cloaks, all of these people coming around and Jesus riding in. Think about yourself in that moment. Yeah, I'd be just be like, this is awesome. I can't believe this. People are falling and shouting and singing as you're riding in. And all the while, he knows something. Is he going to save the world? Yes. Is he going to do it in the way that they think? No. They have no idea what's coming. Not even his closest disciple understood what this week was going to bring. They didn't understand what Jesus was going to do. Only Jesus knew what was going to happen. Only he knew the turn that was going to happen just a few days later. That the voices that were crying out in celebration would then cry out, crucify him. They would turn. And there's a deep sadness in Jesus over this. In fact, it's recorded in the one account in the Gospel of Luke. It says, when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Is it possible he could have been disappointed in that moment? He was mourning, he was weeping that they missed it, that they don't see it and it's right in front of them. In the midst of all the excitement and the celebration, Jesus knew he would not fulfill their immediate expectations and they would turn on him. So imagine that. Imagine that kind of tension that you would have in that moment if you were in that moment. Have you ever had that moment at any part of your life where you were heading into a situation and you knew that people didn't know what the situation was and you knew that there was no way you were gonna win? Have you ever had that? I had a funny moment like that. It didn't feel funny at the time, but it's funny now. Years ago when I was playing music, I, my first career was a musician, artist, writer, and I had some records out and I was here. I was the worship leader here and the music director. And so at that time, we were trying to raise money for some ministries that were doing work around this area. And one of the ways that we did that was we had like the auctioned off dinner parties with Danny. You know, and so it was this idea that I would bring my guitar, I'd sing my original music, because that's basically all I knew, and I would sing my original music, we would have dinner together, and it would raise us, and it would auction it off. And we auctioned off like three of them, we raised a decent amount of money, I was like, this is really cool. So we did the first two, and they went really well, and then the third one wasn't going so well, because it was given as a gift, 
And I don't think the people really wanted me to come to their home. <laughs> They're like, what is this? This sounds lame So it took like a year. And finally, I have a conversation. And the person says, well, I guess we have to do this. Tell me what you got. And I'm like, oh, well, I can do this day. Okay, we'll do it. Hung up. I was like, oh, no. Then I come to find out that they think I play Broadway show tunes. And I'm like, oh, Lord. Like, all I do is a little Bob Dylan on a guitar. So I'm like, this is not good. So I keep saying, hey, I don't do show tunes. No, 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 you do some show tunes. Learn some show tunes. I'm like, I don't do show tunes. You know, I don't know anything about show tunes. So I show up the day of, and I'm so nervous because I know this isn't going to go well. And the door opens up, and the guy goes, oh, hey, here's the Broadway guy. Here's the show tunes guy. And I'm like, hey, I don't do show tunes. Yeah, sure you do. Okay, come on in. And I'm thinking, this is bad. I walk in, there's tension, no one wants to be there. We have dinner, and finally, I'm not kidding you, I think this is really what I said, or at least this was said in my mind. We get to the end of the dinner, and I'm like, okay, let's get this over with. And I was like, now I gotta play the concert. So we go down, and we sit down, and we have this whole thing laid out. And I start my first little song, and I play it, and we get done, it's like, cling. It's like, I was like, wow, okay, that's never happened. Well, let me try another one. You know, and I tried like two or three, and it was lame. Finally, by the second one, you see the guy in the back go, oh, I start texting, they're all laughing, going through stuff. So finally, I do one, and the guy to the left of me looks at me, he goes, ah, that one was all right. That was pretty good. I was like, oh, okay. And that play thing, it just got worse. Finally, at the end, this is how bad it got. I ended after about 45 minutes an hour, and I said, hey, I think I'll just do this classic hymn at the end of this concert. And I said, I said the name of it, and the person in front goes, oh, Please, whatever you do, don't play that song awful. And I looked up and I said, are you serious right now? And the person looked at me and yelled at me. He said, yes, you're serious. Don't play a song. Pick something else. So I quickly played that and I was out of there, right? But you knew that that was going to happen. I knew it. I could see it. The expectation did not meet. So now that's a funny little example. But this is massive. Jesus knew that this was a massive, massive moment So how, in the midst of all of the pressure that Jesus was under, in the midst of all of these expectations, how did Jesus not give in to them? How did Jesus lock his face towards Jerusalem? And how did he stay focused in the midst of all that was happening around him? How did he allow it not to dictate his decisions? How did he not take in the adoration? You know, I, I've been, I, I worked in the music business for 25 years. Adoration is what artists live on. They give in to that. They actually believe it. How did Jesus not take that adoration to heart? And how did he not get crushed by the weight of the disappointment that was gonna happen? I believe we can learn something from how Jesus does that in scripture, how his humanity as he wrestles with it, his divinity, give us insights and perspectives that can help us as we navigate the same things. The first one is this. Live from the approval of God, not for the approval of people. There's two words in there that I want you to focus on. Live from, say the word from, from the approval of God, not say for, for the approval of people. That's fascinating to me. In the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, in his public ministry, three years before this moment, John the Baptist, his cousin, baptizes him. And of course, he's humble and he's like, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be, you know, you should be baptizing me. He said, no, no. And his cousin baptized him. And as they go under the water, when he comes up, there's this parting of the heavens and this beautiful voice coming down, or I can, maybe it's a voice, we don't know, but, it, but the scripture says, behold, 
A voice from heaven said this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I really believe that Father God wanted Jesus to start his public ministry with a very core value that he was gonna have to hold on to because his father knew all of what was gonna happen to him as he started to walk these three years. And what he needed to know was there's something more important than anything else in your life. And I would say that to you today as well. Do you know your true identity? In that moment, and God is looking down, he says, what does he say? This is my son, and I am well pleased with my son. This is the approval of God. This is this moment where Jesus is like, oh, this, this is who I am. This is where I work from. That's not what I work for. You know me well enough to know that I love the movie Lion King. I'm like a Lion King freak. Just the original cartoon one. And I used to sit with our boys. We used to sit with our boys, but I used to sit with our boys. I mean, watch it, I don't know how many times, 100 times, who knows. Love that movie. And there's this beautiful moment where we're freaky, who's this prophetic kind of voice that would always come back and bring people back to center. He reaches out to Simba, and Simba's lost his way, and he's run away from home. And Rafiki finds him, and he goes to him, and he calls him over, and he calls him to a pool of water. Do you remember this moment? And he says, come over, I need to show you something. And he pulls him over to this pool of water. And he puts his hand over the water and he says, look in the water, what do you see? And Simmons says, ah, I just see a reflection of me. And then he says something great. He goes, no, 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 look harder. And then he looks harder into the pool of water and all of a sudden the face of his father shows. And he's stunned by it. And then there's this beautiful moment where he starts to have this vision of his father speaking to him because he's lost his way. And he says this at one point. His father looks at him and says, remember who you are. You are my son. Now go live out your purpose. And that's the turning point. That is the turning point of the whole movie. Why? Because we lose our way. Do you know who you are? Do you know your true identity? I think we have an identity crisis in our communities because people are trying to please people. They're trying to work for people and the pleasing of people. And God is trying to pull us back and say, no, 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 I want you to work from who you really are, that you are a son of the highest king, that you are a daughter of the highest king, that that is actually who your identity actually is. And you work from that because when we work from that, guess what starts to happen? All of this noise around us, we can take it in, but it doesn't change us. We keep our eyes focused. You know, that's part of my story. My, part of my story is I was searching and searching and trying to find truth through every different religion that I could find. And when I came here over 21 years ago or 20 years ago, there was a moment where I felt the voice. It wasn't an audible voice. It was a moment where it's like, oh, this is what I've been finding my worth in. And oh, this is what it's supposed to be. That you are supposed to live from something that has eternal value, not temporal. Because this will turn in a few days. 
And the same voices that cheer you on, maybe the same voices that say crucify you, we don't know. But the one voice that we have that's gonna stay consistent that I can set my face to and that I can walk to is the voice of God, that there's something actually in me that I have an identity that I can work from. Well, that's a different ball game. Now Michael King isn't writing music so that you like his song. Michael King is writing music so he opens up your heart so that you can find Jesus. He's not doing it for his own glory. He doesn't care. He wants to write something and move you so that your eyes are lifted up to something bigger and something in your heart opens a little wider so that you realize you've been living for the wrong purpose and from the wrong identity. And I think it's significant if we want to handle the disappointments of our life, if we want to walk through this life consistently, if we want to have a true north in our life, we have to understand that there is an eternal part of our life. So that's why Jesus, in his ministry, when you study his life, he would always find time alone with God. That was one of his biggest disciplines. He would be doing all this incredible ministry, and what he would do? It would say he would go away, and he would find time. Why did he do that? I believe he did that so that he would always be center. Just remind me who I am again. You are my son who I'm well pleased. Oh, thank you. Okay. What do you need from me? And, and by the way, he got most of that time when he had to make the biggest decisions of his ministry. Because he didn't want to make them. He wanted to do only what his father told him to do. And how do you do that? You only work out of that space. Do you know your identity? Do I know my identity? It's so hard sometimes because there's so many noise. And in this past year, there's so much. And God's like, would you pull center again and would you hear who you really are? Look harder. Look harder. You know, one of the great things, that's why I love scripture. The one of the things about scripture that's so powerful is it tells us who we are. You know, if you're here and you're not following Jesus, you don't even know why you're listening to this, you know, why you're watching, why you're in this room, I want to remind you something. I'm going to read off a handful of truths that God says who you are. And even if you don't follow Jesus, I want to challenge you with something. I want you to take these. We're going to try to post them tomorrow on social media and our networks and stuff. I want you to take these. I want you to listen to them. And I want you to say them for 30 days. Even if you don't follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus in this room, I want you to say this. Every morning when you wake up, don't take out your phone and go, what's going on in the world? Because that's what I do many times. You know what we should do? This is what we should do. And this is what I'm going to challenge us for the next three days. When we open our eyes in the morning, we need to read these. Let me just read you a few. This is what God says about you, about us, about his people. I am alive with Christ. I am born of God. I am holy without blame. I have the mind of Christ. I have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I have received abundant grace and the gift of righteousness. I have received the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I have received the power of the Holy Spirit. I have strength. I am called out of the darkness and into the light and life. I am transformed. I am renewed. I am set apart. I am God's workmanship. I am God's masterpiece. I am a new creation. I am a joint heir with Christ. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am the light of the world. I am chosen. I am forgiven. I am justified through Christ. I am loved. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I've been rescued. I am born again, and I am a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of the highest king, and God is well pleased. What if we, what if we for 30 days, 
We put away all of our social media and all of the things we wanna say, and what if we just listen and, and, and read every morning the truths of God? My wife's funny. She watched me the first service. She's like, you know, I think you need to do that more. <laughs> She's like, you can learn from that. And I was like, you're right. Because it doesn't matter who you are. You have to be reminded because we're losing our way. And God is asking people to come home, man. Start working from something eternal. <laughs> it's right here. And I would say, if we did that for 30 days, I would challenge this. If there's someone watching that doesn't believe that Jesus exists, I wanna challenge you. 30 days, read these every morning. And you come back to me in 30 days and tell me if your heart's not changed. I believe it. I believe the word of God is power. And this is truthful. And, the, and society's saying, no, that's not true. And I think the deepest parts of who we are can only be affirmed by God, and that's it. And through his word is one way we can do that. You are a son. You are a daughter of the highest king. That is your identity. That is our identity. And our approval only comes from the one that can call us sons and daughters. So because Jesus lives from the approval of God and not for the approval of people, guess what? Then he gets to live to please God and not to please people. And there's a bit of a difference there. Because he's living from this, now he's got purpose. And his purpose is to please God. Galatians 1 is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote a big chunk of the New Testament and he didn't believe in Jesus. He fought against him until he had an experience where God started to speak into him who he really was. And this is what Paul writes. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And this line is super powerful. If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Meaning you can't do both. If I'm pleasing people, I'm actually not doing the ministry and I'm not serving Jesus. I can't do it. First Thessalonians, he, he plays this out a little bit more and he speaks to the, uh, to the approval as well. He says, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of the heart. Jesus, knowing where he's working from, locks his face to Jerusalem with a mission that he knows is gonna disappoint, but he knows it's from God because what he is doing is to please God and not people. Jesus wasn't living for the adoration or the admonishment that would come from people, but rather he was living to please God and for things that were bigger and eternal. And because of that, he could be a disappointment and not lose his identity. He could be celebrated and not lose his purpose. His identity and his purpose and his future weren't being determined by human praise, but by the very desire to please God. And here's the, here's the amazing thing to me. When you live from the approval of God and you live to please God, you know what starts to happen? You actually start to live in faith. Because to live in faith means that we move without actually knowing everything that's going to happen. We have to rely on God. And do you see, Jesus was going into Jerusalem knowing that in a few days he was going to be put on a cross. But he fixed his face like flint 
to the city. He was set to do it because his purposes were set out by God. And he knew his purpose. And he was moving in. He was walking by faith. And you know how he was walking by faith? Because he knew and he trusted that the promises that his heavenly father were giving him, that this was going to be for a bigger purpose, were true. God is always bigger than we can imagine. There's always something more happening with God. We see here, God sees there. There's always more happening. And Jesus is like, I know what I'm supposed to do right now, but I also know that there's something bigger. So I'm gonna disappoint right now for this moment, this temporary moment, but in eternity, I'm going to open up the floodgates through anyone that would place their faith in Jesus Christ and have faith in me will never perish but have eternal life because God didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save it and save it through his son. And it's this beautiful moment where Jesus actually lives. I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna live by the promises of God. So here's what we'd like to do. Because I've always loved that, that image of the cloaks, like I said. I, I think I'm, I'm addicted because of my upbringing, but I've, I, that, that Palm Sunday thing was so important to me. But that image of, of shedding your outer layer and laying it down, when they did that in that original moment, they were doing that, hailing Jesus as king, but having attachments to what they were doing. They were laying it down going, we're really gonna, this is gonna be great for us. And they had ulterior motives to lay it down. There was something wrong with there. They really felt like that was the truth, but they're laying it down. What would it look like if we took off our expectations of ourselves, our expectations of people around us, our expectations of God, we laid those down and we start to fix our face on Jesus and we start to really take in what God says about us and the promises that he gives to people. Pepperdine did a study years ago, Pepperdine University on the West Coast, and they had one particular person look into how many promises of God there are in the Bible. And there's all kinds of opinions about how many promises, but this particular person went in and thought there was about... 88, I think it was like 8,800 promises, 8,800 promises. And 7,500 of those, just shy, were God giving promises to humankind, to us. And so what we thought we would do was we read some of these promises as the band's gonna lead us in musical thought as we move through our end of our day. And I want you, when we read these, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just turn your hands up and put them out if you want. You don't have to do this, but I'd ask you to do it if you're comfortable. Because when we do this, it is, a, it is a sign. Sometimes when people say, why do you raise your hands when we sing? Well, sometimes when you do this, you're showing vo your vulnerability and you're showing a, a posture of surrender. It's a bit like saying, here's my cloak. The bowing. So if we put our hands like this, it's a, it's, it's a posture of receiving. And what did Hebrews 4 say? That we can approach God with boldness and then we will receive. We will receive his mercy. We will find his grace. So I would ask you, put your hands out. And as you put your hands out, I would ask that you would ask the Lord, I want to receive whatever you have to put in my hands. What do you need me to hear? What do you need me to have? And as we do that, I'm just gonna read these promises over you. And this is scripture, this is God's word. This is what he says. And I know one thing, there are multiple people in this room and on stream 
that desperately need to hear these promises. Listen to this. Take them in. Let it permeate your heart. This is God speaking to you and us. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Though you may stumble, you will not fall. For the Lord upholds you with his right hand. Your word is a lamp and a guide to my feet and a light to my path. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from evil. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. In him we have redemption through his blood, through the forgiveness of sins, and according with the riches of God's grace. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Come. Listen to my counsel. I will share my heart with you and I will make you wise. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to you. The peace I'm going to leave you and the peace I'm gonna give you, I don't give as the world gives. It's not that kind of peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whatever place their faith in him shall never perish, but have eternal life with God. For God did not come to condemn the world, but to save it through the person of Jesus Christ. To all who believe in Jesus and accept Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God. Father, I plead with you. I beg, I implore, I beseech you. Lord, would you do a work in this community? Would you move individual hearts and collectively would you move us here in this room and on the stream and everywhere else that you can hear this voice? Lord, would you move us? Would you speak to the deepest parts of our hearts that are rooted in eternity? It says that you've placed eternity in every human heart. That means, Lord, that you can speak to that eternity and awaken that eternity and you can have us work from your approval, not for the people around us. Lord, would you awaken that in us and draw us back to you. Lord, would you let us know that you desire us to really live in to being the son and daughters of the highest king. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our community. And we ask, Lord, that we continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. Continue to take one step after the other after community, learning from each other, but more importantly, Lord, learning from your perfect human life and your perfect divinity. We thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in our midst when we surrender this to Jesus Christ. Amen.
Well, thank you for joining us. A beautiful time together. Uh, next week, we're going to keep moving all the way into Good Friday and Easter. Next week has to do with Jesus living from the approval of God, pleasing God, and then training his small group of people with a basin and some water and a towel, what is the very core of the kingdom of God. And so it kind of links to the donkey riding in. So come back next week and be part of that. Also, don't forget about Draw, Disaster Relief at Work. It'll probably be on our social media pages and all those kinds of things and our website. So please connect to that if you still want to take part in that. If you'd like to give something at the end uh, at the buckets, great too. Thank you everyone online for joining and we will see you next week. Thanks a lot. Have a great rest of your week. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.